Welcome to the Living Jewishly Podcast. I'm Dr. Elliot Malamud. I'm Rabbi Yossi Saperman. And I'm Rabbi Bluth. We talk about Judaism, and we talk about living, and we talk about everything in between. And what it means to be Jewish and human in today's world. Judaism is not nearly as boring as I thought it was. We're not selling you on Judaism. We're not selling you on living. We're just trying to get you inside of our brains, the way we think about stuff. And the way we feel about stuff. And we'll try to be as real as possible. By getting you into our Jewish brain, you'll argue a lot, you'll disagree, you'll love, you'll eat, you'll have a really good time, you'll learn a lot of things, and you know what? You might actually find that all those 3,000 years have been worth it. And maybe we'll even come out being better people for it. The beauty of the cyclical nature of our Hebrew calendar is that as we move through the seasons and holy days and months, we revisit universal themes each year as new people. In this episode, we are re-airing the podcast about this month from last year. We know that old wisdom lands in new ways each time we return to it, and we invite curiosity and reflection to see how the wisdom of this month lands anew with you today. Whether you have been with us from the very beginning or are a new listener, we would love to hear how this month's episode lands for you. Share your thoughts and feedback on the Living Jewishly pages on Instagram at living.jewishly or Facebook. And if you're a member of our School of Living Jewishly community, we'd love to be in dialogue with you on the SoulJ platform. Enjoy! Welcome to Sacred Time, a podcast from Living Jewishly, where we explore the healing art of the Hebrew calendar. My name is Bluth. And my name is Ganga Devi. And together we will be exploring the wisdom of each of the 12 months of the Hebrew calendar as they relate to our lives today. Our intention for this podcast is that it be rooted in tradition, blossoming into the relevance in the present moment, and lead us all to the ripening of a beautiful Jewish future. And welcome to the podcast for the month of Tammuz. So, Bluth, tell me about Tammuz. So, we are in the heated months of the calendar. This is like the burning heat of the summer months. In our tradition, we're entering now a time that commemorates and holds a lot of the pain, destruction, and traumas that we felt as a people. So, on the 17th of Tammuz, the 17th of this month, which is coming up in a couple days, we actually have a minor fast day, which marks the breaching of the walls of Jerusalem, following which in a few weeks we have Tisha B'Av, which is the holiday that commemorates the destruction of the temple, the destruction of our holy place, our then sort of centralized sacred space. And so Tammuz is the first of these two heated months. In Tammuz, we kind of descend into the heat. In Av, the next month, we emerge from it. And we have the fast day, we have Tisha B'Av, and we have a lot of reflection on destruction and mourning. We look to our own boundaries and violations. We give space for the fire of anger and despair. And the element of this month is actually water. And as Jenna taught us in her yoga practice that welcomed this month, welcomed Rosh Chodesh, 
According to Sefer Yetzirah, the Kabbalistic book, the element of Tammuz is water. And when in this month, which is super hot and super difficult, we can actually cultivate our inner cooling water. So we look to water maybe as a little bit of a healing during this fiery time. Yeah, so that's where we are in time right now. I love all of that. And, you know, I I personally am really interested in topics of trauma and grief and the specific kind of trauma of that violation, which is so common in our world. And I think there are like many, many different groups of people who collectively have experienced tremendous violations. And then, of course, at individual levels, many of us experience violations throughout our lives. And in thinking about trauma and the way that we hold trauma in our bodies, both trauma that we've experienced in in our lifetime that we carry on our bodies, as well as trauma that we inherit from our ancestors. I think that there's, it's, it's really useful to look at the kinds of traumas that we're carrying and to recognize that just like the Hebrew calendar gets repeated every year when we are holding trauma inside of ourselves, we are, we can be re-traumatized regularly. And it, it's not just something that lives in the past, but it's something that lives in the present, in our bodies always and until we do the work of, of healing through and integrating that experience. So what what this brings to mind for me is, again, returning to the purpose and the thesis of this podcast, why we started this process to begin with, which is that you have this theory that the healing art of Judaism is the Hebrew calendar. And I absolutely love that idea. I think it's so beautiful and so powerful. And I think that Tammuz gives us a really rich opportunity to actually look at what does that mean? And and what does it mean to be healing through a process of bringing trauma and bringing these really difficult things to our awareness and to our consciousness? So yeah, I'm curious what your thoughts are there. There's a time for everything. And in the calendar, we have times for release, for reflection, for goals, for joy, for chaos, for freedom and all of that kind of stuff. And of course, if we're going to be sort of progressing and evolving and healing individually and as a people over time, then we really have to make space for pain. And our calendar does that. It gives us these really two months here of explicit recollection of traumatic times. There's a fast, there's lamentations, there's the restriction from certain activities, you know, in the nine days up leading to Tisha B'Av, which is a day of lamentations and rituals all around grief and mourning. There's a bunch of stuff we're not supposed to do. Like there's certain joyous activities or just regular activities, you know, like the way we bathe and do laundry and all sorts of things that are actually shifted at this time so that we can make really explicit collectively what it means to tap out of the sort of hamster wheel of our existence and really create space for that, which sometimes it's hard to look at. And hopefully we hold it all together. You know, we have ritual together, so we're not alone in it. But you said one thing that stuck out to me, you know, you said, you said something about looking at our trauma. And I want to say that the characteristic that is associated with this month is sight. And so you said, you know, we have to look at trauma and there is something with how we look at things in this month, what lens we're looking at stuff. If we're looking, you know, maybe in some moments we're looking to try to see the good in things. In some moments we're trying to see beauty behind something or some things like essence. 
But there's something with how we're using our eyes, what we're looking at and how we're looking this month that is also integral to this process of creating space for destruction. Of course, so that we can, you know, to use your language, have like regeneration so that we can rebuild and shift and grow. But through a real ritualizing of and looking at pain. And for those listening, I would say, you know, on one hand, this is historical. We're looking at historical pain, you know, the destruction of the temple, the expulsion from Spain. You know, there's these different moments in Jewish history that we honor around this time. But also to jump out of history, we're using this time for each of us as individuals to create space for whatever it is that is violated currently in your life. You know, whatever it is that is something that deserves mourning and grieving, whatever loss you're experiencing. So it doesn't have to be collective and historical, although it's rooted in that, but it's it's opening space for what it is for you in your life today that's like, ah, that, that deserves some tears. <laughs> Yeah, well, and I, there's, there's two thoughts that I want to share and reflect upon. One, it has to do with the seeing and that viewing. That's so cool that that is the sense organ characteristic of the month. I didn't know that. And I find that really interesting because, you know, in a lot of different traditions, there are different ways of stepping into a practice of being the witness. That's what a lot of Buddhist meditation is oriented toward is like, stepping into or sitting sitting down into onto your cushion and practicing being the witness of your own mind and being the witness of the interplay and the stories and the trauma and the the narratives that emerge from our mind and and there's that question of like if what you're doing is observing your mind then then who is the observer you know what what is that observation and having that degree of distance I think is a really, really important element of healing trauma. You know, I'm making my own sense and my own meaning of that connection, but I, I think that there's something very powerful there in, in cultivating being that witness. And, and then the other thing is it, it just before you yeah, go to your other yeah. thing, what, what that does, the seeing, the observing allows you to take one little degree of separation. So you are not defining yourself by your pain, but you are in fact holding your pain and you can cultivate a perspective maybe you're you know if your mind is stuck in a fight or flight response which often happens in response to trauma that little distance of observation might even give you the space to help your mind calm down to help yourself find safety and hold points of pain you know find refuge in the 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 moments of life where you are in fact safe in the present moment and you're not being constantly yeah your your body can can relax actually your nervous system can relax a little bit. And yeah, I used to have someone used to suggest a healer of mine used to suggest sort of like, I don't know how to describe this, but a practice of like taking yourself on dates, you know, should be like, you have to learn to like hold, to hold your pain and suffering, to comfort yourself. And she's like, part of doing that is like, yes, if you're crying, you can like give yourself a hug and say like, I see your suffering. It's like you are channeling the cosmic you, whatever it is, and holding you in your pain. And also in all moments, she's like when you go brush your teeth, she's like, take yourself on this date to brush your teeth, like be with you as you do this. Allow your grounded self to livui, to like accompany and comfort and care for parts of self in the past or present that maybe were shrunken, yeah. were small, were pained. So that's that observing 
Yeah. And the, the thought that comes to mind with that is just like, like we can be what we need and that doesn't need to translate. And I don't think it, it shouldn't translate to like hyper individualism of like, I don't need anyone else, but it's coming from this place of, of if I'm able to, to provide myself with the things that I am longing for, the things, the tenderness, the support, the care, then I will have so much more to give and I'll also know what it feels like to be cared for and tended to and nurtured and, you know, tenderly held when I experience it from others. Because I, I think a lot of, a lot of the trauma that we hold, whether it's inherited or from our own lifetimes, keeps us in cycles of, of being actually kind of confused about what it feels like and looks like to be, to be loved and to, to be cared for. And we end up reproducing so many toxic cycles because we don't know how to actually relax into a healthy relationship. If we can cultivate that healthy relationship with ourselves. That makes a world of difference. And I know we'll probably be going more in that direction on on next month's podcast leading up to above. Yeah. Yeah. There's going to be a lot of richness there. The other point that I that I was going to make, I think, is going back to, you know, when you were saying, you know, the the language that I would use of, of regeneration. I want to settle into that space there because, you know, when we talk about Tamu's, everything that I've that I've been reading and learning has definitely been the word destruction comes up a lot. And destruction, of course, carries a strong connotation for many people. You and I both have some some grounding in Shaivite Hinduism, which opens up some doors to a different kind of relationship with destruction, that of the continuous destruction and recreation of of reality. And for and for those yeah. listen, listening, that is in, in Hinduism, Lord Shiva is the deity of destruction. Yeah, and that's not seen as that's seen as like very much a natural, integral, even holy trait. So it sort of looks at destruction in its power rather than just as an expression of like a victimhood. And it is and it is cyclical. And so I want to bring in a maybe less charged word that is like a D word that I think we can explore a bit together, which is which is decomposition. And that's a word that I think a lot of people have been learning more about because people are learning about composting and people are learning about about regeneration and 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 thinking about decomposition and in some new ways so i think it's like a juicy place to play and i think that i don't want to minimize at all the trauma of the destruction of the temple the trauma of the destruction of anything that we hold sacred and hold dear and also especially when i'm struggling with things but also all the time i always look to how how life operates, how nature operates, how the living world operates. And there is this constant process that that Hindu concept of Shiva's dance points to, which is that that life is continuously creating itself and then allowing itself to decompose and then metabolizing that which has been decomposed, that which has died, that which has gone before and turning it into new life and turning it into new new life, new meaning, new structures, new everything. And this points to something that is a really core element of my own understanding of trauma, which is a definition that my mother, who's a therapist, uses, which is that trauma is unmetabolized experience or undigested experience. That's the way that she she describes it and defines it. And that we hold in our bodies all kinds of experiences that Another definition of trauma is too much, too fast, too soon for our nervous systems to handle. And so if we take those two definitions of trauma and we, we understand, 
okay, I had an experience and maybe it's not like something that I would call like capital T trauma and I wouldn't want to compare it to somebody else who had a more extreme form of trauma, but I had an experience that was too fast, too soon, too much for my nervous system to handle. And so it's living in my body. I think that anyone listening to this, anyone on this planet can probably identify <laughs> maybe a lifetime's worth of examples of that. Things that we are holding in our bodies. And, and that's when people talk about being triggered. That's what's happening is that something, some external stimulus happens and it awakens that experience that is still alive in our bodies because we haven't been able to digest it yet. And so again, I like to look at, at how nature operates and how nature functions in order to help me make sense of the world and support my own healing. And the way that I like to, to approach that is, is by taking my trauma and thinking about it as compost and thinking about, you know, what are the conditions through what that things need in order to truly decompose, in order to truly metabolize and create fertile soil for everything else to come. And I think, I think that this line of thinking and line of inquiry is really rich and can lead to a lot of really amazing places. And so I want to offer that to you, Bluth. I want to offer that to our listeners and see where where that train of thought could take us. So I have a question based on your definitions. I guess, first of all, as I hear you speaking, you know, the too much, too fast, too soon. So like, how does that manifest? Like, what does it mean to have that in the body? And I think we see that often in like mental well-being in the experience of chronic pain, like certain patterns that the body develops or pains that the body develops, often very physical or mental that is a sort of consequence of something being, it's not just that something's stuck, but it, it can be something like horrible that happened that is stuck. The question that I have though is when you speak to decomposition or integration or metabolizing or healing in general when we're talking about trauma big or small i guess <laughs> this is a big question but like what does it mean because we're not i assume we're not talking here of like ma making sense of something sometimes we can use our minds to make sense of something that happened and that's one way to like release it or work it through you know i'm a i'm a libra i'm a heady person <laughs> and my like first line of defense is always to try to cognitively understand but you know if if we want to be rooted in jewish history for a second the experience of the breaching of the walls of jerusalem or the destruction of the temple which was the center the fact that our judaism emerged into something else so we created a rabbinic tradition post temple is mind blowing to me we recreated a tradition very different than what we had before. And that emerged out of the pain, the trauma, the destruction, the loss, the hope, the yearning, the resilience of the people. We created something new and different. And we see this all the time in, in Jewish history, that there's second chances, that there's resilience, there's pivoting, there's, there's new things created in the wake of old stuff. You know, the seed that decomposes before it can shoot forth. That's all beautiful. And like you said, we're going to really talk about that next month when we shift from Tisha B'Av to Tuba'av from this destructive holiday to our like love Valentine's Day, essentially. But before we get to the what comes after, I want to yeah ask about what does it mean to metabolize and to process and to grieve you know, and, and to feel into things and things that many times are too big and horrible for a person to contain. And yet 
the magnificence of the human experience is that somehow, you know, somehow there's a resilience of spirit through horrible things. And we see that all around us. It's glorious. But so, yeah, I guess that's just my question. Like, what is that process there of decomposition? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I, first of all, I, of course, I just want to start my response by saying, I do not have all the answers, but I think about this a lot. So I'll just share my, my thoughts. So there's a metaphor that I think it can be really useful when we're talking about stuff like this. And I think it's, it's a metaphor that is very relatable. I think anyone can really grasp this, which is getting very literal with the idea of decomposition. So imagine you have a banana peel. You know, you've just had a wonderful banana. You've eaten it. You have the peel now and you have a couple of different options. You know, you could throw it in the garbage and it would probably within plastic take that like hundreds or thousands of years to decompose. You could toss it out into your garden and it would just be stinky and visible. And eventually maybe an animal would scurry off with it and somehow it would decompose in its own kind of weird way. You could put it in the compost and have the the conditions of your compost be conducive to to breaking that down or there's this other way of doing it that that I think speaks to what we often do psychologically with ourselves which is imagine taking the banana peel and putting it in a like little plastic baggie and just like putting it behind the toaster oven where it's out of sight but it's still in your kitchen <laughs> it's still in your house but you're not seeing it you're not having to deal with it and that's that's the way that a lot of us carry traumatic experiences. It's the way that we carry parts of ourselves that we have gotten the message at some point in our lives that part of ourselves is unlovable or is unsafe. There's all kinds of things that we that we reject in ourselves and in our experience because we don't know how we don't have tools, we don't have support, we don't have guidance of of how to deal with it. And that's completely understandable. We all do this all of the time. But eventually what ends up happening is that banana peel in plastic in your kitchen will begin to rot and it will begin to smell really bad. But it might happen so gradually that you don't even realize it. And the only people who realize it are people who come into your house who've never been there before. And they're like, something's, something's off here, but I can't really tell what it is. Right. Like something, something subtle is starting to wreak havoc. Yes. Yeah. And that is, it's a way that this, so this is a way that I often describe what's called the human shadow, which is the parts of ourselves that we've rejected. And the, the shadow emerges from trauma and from rejection and from weird conditioning that tells us that parts of ourselves are unlovable. And it happens to all of us. It's like a part of our development as humans. And there are definitely collective shadows as, as well as, as individual shadows, things that we are not willing to look at that are going to always come out and like bite us in the ass like they are always going to cause chaos and disharmony and and harm in our world until we're willing to deal with them and so sometimes it's somebody coming in and, and pointing out to us that there's something wrong but a lot of the time we don't even want to listen to them sometimes it's us actually being proactive and doing a thorough cleaning and saying you know what actually this is here and i'm going to do something about it there are a lot of different ways that we can approach this and i think that Again, the beautiful thing about the Hebrew calendar is that like we're given this this month, we're given this this window of opportunity, we're given Tisha B'Av, if I'm pronouncing that right, we're giving us ourselves this opportunity to actually proactively look at this trauma 
and to look at these elements that live within us, that are alive in our history, that are alive within the body of the people and work through it. And so then what do we do with this particular example of, you know, a piece of rotting fruit? You don't just toss it outside. You put it into conditions, the, the conditions that it needs. And so whether that's a spinning composting thing, whether that's a compost pile on the ground, like whether you bury it, whatever, you want to know what the actual conditions are that are most conducive to that thing being broken down and reincorporated into the body of life and to create fertile soil that the future can build upon. And everything that exists on this planet and within our psyches has emerged on this planet. It's all things that can be metabolized and reintegrated. And so like whether it's an abstract idea or an embodied piece of trauma or an actual physical object that can be decomposed and reintegrated into the body of life, it's a really radical idea that that we actually can decompose these things, that we can reincorporate them and that they can take on new life and new meaning if we give them the right conditions. And we don't know necessarily what the best conditions are for everyone I and for, for everything that we have to consider. There are a lot of different factors that we can incorporate, but the one thing that I can always say is that it doesn't happen in isolation. It happens in relationship. It happens in community. It happens in context and in interdependent relationship. And that can be the first clue that helps us to figure out exactly what is actually needed for the metabolism and decomposition of whatever grief, whatever trauma, whatever violations we're still holding inside of ourselves. Thanks for that. I'm picturing like the beautiful balance of like carbon and nitrogen or your compost worms and the microorganisms and stuff that like come support and I was just making a list as you were talking of like things that were popping into my mind. Like what are the sort of metaphorical microorganisms that like help in this process that don't repress, but that allow things to process and shift and be honored and released and all that kind of stuff. And just the list that I wrote down here was like feelings, safe containers to feel your feelings for a lot of us. We don't feel because we're over, you know, whatever reasons. So figuring out how to feel, if that's aided by therapy or just one's own self. And with feelings, I would, I would emphasize as well. That means the whole, the whole spectrum of feelings and to, and that means like creating space for it to be safe to feel the whole spectrum of whatever it is. Sometimes we grieve through hysterical laughter. And sometimes we get really mad and sometimes we cycle through many different emotional states continuously. And so I, I just want to emphasize like there, there can be a lot of biodiversity in, in feeling, yeah. in feeling. Yeah. <laughs> right. I wrote here tears, establishing of boundaries, reestablishing of boundaries, seeking physical safety, nourishment, food, tenderness, of course, community and relationship rituals, you know, rituals for grieving, for sadness, for release, for like lost dreams, you know, all that stuff to honor parts that were parts of self or people that have been lost, memory, and of course, justice is a big rectifier. Yeah, and I guess it's just like the time and space that allows us to to, to hold, to process, to integrate, to, to reestablish new boundaries, to feel less isolation to seek the people who support us and that sort of thing. Yeah, I would add to that as a compliment and something that is is a part of everything you just said is the process of bearing witness. And that again, comes back to that, the eyes and the seeing. 
And bearing witness can be our own bearing witness to our grief and our trauma. And sometimes that is looking at things from a distance, looking at, you know, our child self or, or our ancestors or, you know, whatever it is that we're processing through the lens of deep compassion. And even sometimes the, the perpetrators of harm through, through deep compassion, but also having other people bear witness to us and, you know, having conversations with people where, where they are equipped and know how to not try to fix you, but just to bear witness to what's true that's coming out of you and not rushing, not rushing to change, to make any changes or to rectify anything, but just, just being willing to bear witness to that harm and just what a powerful thing that is. And again, I think that that's a big thing that this month is about and the, you know, the fasting and the storytelling and the, the recognition of what has happened is a powerful process of, of bearing witness to something that happened and harms that continue to happen. And it's just such a, it's such a beautiful, powerful thing to be able to bear witness and to, to feel seen and to feel held in that way. A friend of mine, Mati Esther Engel, who's a chaplain in New York, she wrote for At The Well, for Moon Manual in the month of Tammuz. She spoke, you know, from her experience in chaplaincy and her own like inherited experiences. She wrote about befriending our anger, let's say, befriending our, these like certain qualities, this act of like coming towards things and allowing them to help guide us back to an inner chamber in her language, this like sacred inner chamber that you can access that is, I don't like the language of purity because it feels Puritan, you know, but just somehow through, it's just, it takes observation to a new level. It's, it's befriending. It's saying like, I welcome you questions and anger and sadness. It allows us to inherit something new through these certain experiences. Yeah. Well, in that, that inner chamber, I feel like it, just as you were like, I don't know about the word pure, my mind just went to some other potential words in relation to how I feel in that stable space when I befriend the parts of myself that I've rejected. And I would describe that as like a stillness, like rather than pure, I would say that it's still and yeah, and, and sacred and tender. Yeah. And it, I mean, it reminds me of actually the, the work of Teresa of Avila, who was a, a descendant of conversos during the Spanish Inquisition. So she's, she's a saint in, in Catholicism, but was very recently Jewish in her family's lifetime and has this, this really rich and, and beautiful relationship with the divine. And she, she talked about the interior castle and going deeper and deeper, layer by layer inside the self to meet the divine and that it wasn't this external process, but that it, but that it was these stages of going deeper and deeper inside of ourselves. So my mind just went there. And if anybody wants to look at, at her work, I really recommend looking at Mirror by Stars work and translations of Teresa of Avila's stuff, which she just does in such a incredibly generous, beautiful, rich, accessible way, form of translation and talks a lot about Teresa Vavila's life and history and, and Jewish family in the context of her life and work. And on top of that, I, I would say that maybe it's that inner chamber that in the moments of the greatest darkness, we are able to, to yearn, to call out, to seek betterment. There's something deep down in the, in the, in the midst of horrible pain that, that yearns for, you know, the safety or the thriving or the aliveness that we know 
we deserve and can maybe bring us on that path of metabolizing and decomposing and growing and healing and and incorporating and, and emerging, holding our wounds and our like empty parts and yeah, the, our traumas, how, however large and small, again, the, the resilience of the human spirit is a profound thing. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and this also reminds me, I've definitely read and heard in, in conversations this idea that the temple is rebuilt continuously in, inside of ourselves. I'm curious how you feel about that, if you want to go there at all. <laughs> I feel like there's like literature to draw on that there, there are so many different ways to understand temple and the rebuilding of the temple, literally and metaphorically. I don't remember the sources off the top of my head for those who compare the temple to the body and without a temple, you know, our own sacred spaces within us. So I think we can come to, back to that in another podcast if we want. But on the most simple level, rebuilding our sacred places, especially as a people when what was central to us is no longer. I mean, none of us alive today ever experienced the reality of a physical temple. I think I mentioned this on another podcast, you know, it took me till I got to India and I was standing in a temple in India and all of a sudden I was weeping and it was the first time ever in my life I felt any sadness for the loss of the temple. I've been through so many Tisha B'Avs and, you know, it was always like tacking the day onto more current memories of destruction or whatever, but I had never felt the loss of like the temple. And there I was in India, you know, weeping and weeping and weeping, just feeling like, whoa, I'm like touching on something that was once so important to us and is now a memory or a prayer or whatever. But yeah, so I guess just without that centralized physical space, if we want to look to time or to our physical selves or to mother, you know, like mother earth in general as the temple today. And if that's, you know, universal or particularly Jewish or individual in our own bodies, like I would just say like, yes, (laughs) yes to all of that, like rectifying sacred space in and around us be they particular or universal. Well, and and something that is very important to me is something that feels very true to me is that there is nothing that isn't sacred. And and I think some people name things as sacred to draw a distinction between the sacred and the profane. They say that's sacred, which means that that's not. And the way that I see the world and the way that I relate to the world is that all of life and all of creation is sacred. And within that sanctity, we can really mess things up. We can really cause harm. We can really cause trauma to ourselves and others. And, you know, there are a lot of things that come. This is something that I talk to and debate with friends about, like, the problem of evil and, like, whether evil exists. And, and you know, that can be another conversation as well. But the way that I, the way that I see things is that there is, is that everything is sacred and sometimes we forget. And sometimes we forget for really long periods of time en masse, you know, like sometimes all of humanity forgets for thousands of years to some degree. And we can always remember because the sanctity has never gone actually gone away. We can remember. Forgetting that can be so deeply oppressive. Forgetting doesn't sound like such a big deal, (laughs) but oppression sure is. So it's a big deal to forget. And if some of the medicine to that for that is remembrance, then yeah, maybe we may we all remember over and over 
our own inner chamber and our each other's inner chambers and our collective inner chamber and sanctify and sanctify through you know through our relationships through like the subtle things and through our actions in the world and yeah in a big way yeah a big way so as we're drawing to a close today, I think that 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 last note again brings us back to a theme that that we've been repeating today in, in our conversation of the importance of of tenderness and nurturance, remembrance, cultivation, connection in response to the trauma and the grief and the violations that we carry with us. And so I'm kind of curious, and we're going to explore this really beautifully and really richly next month. I'm really excited for what we will be doing for next month's episode. And I'm curious, like today, like this week, right now, what are some things that either you or I are doing or would like to invite people to do who might be feeling tender from this conversation, who might be feeling, whether it's from this conversation or from this month, whatever it is, things alive in you that feel that feel hot and heavy, that feel like trauma that's alive within us? What are some of those things that we can do to nurture and create the conditions for that decomposition to happen? I guess I'll answer the question first with my first answer that comes to mind for me is again thinking of what is the element of this month? It's water. And I was reminded recently of the incredible power of water. <laughs> Bluth and I were together in a in a very in a hot, very intense area of Mexico just a few weeks ago. And the greatest blessing in the world was was the sources of water at the place that we were staying. And it was drinking really wonderful, clean, delicious water. It was bathing in the water. It was listening to the sounds of the ocean. It was all of these different things that felt like, you know, water moves through us. It carries things out of us. It it nurtures and nourishes and fills up all of the cells of our body. And, and it continuously is this process of cleansing. And it's absolutely essential for all decomposition processes and decomposition actually produces water. You know, mycelium and and bacteria and everything breaking things down, especially mycelium, produces and cleans a lot of the water content that is held within the things that are being composted. And I think that, you know, the process of decomposing things that we carry within our body produces water as well. That's what we experience when we cry, whether we're crying from from relief or from grief or from laughter, from sorrow, whatever it is, I really do feel that tears are evidence of things moving through us, of stories releasing from being held in our body and are so powerful. So that's my answer. <laughs> I love just the invitation to water ritual. It's really, it's really specific and simple. And I've had some really deep experiences with looking at water with fresh eyes and, and just the Mayim Chaim. It's, you know, it's, it's such a life affirming, powerful, powerful thing. As to recommendations, I think self-acquaintance is always, is the thing that I'll always come back to. Something that's been in therapy for me has been like a huge source of healing and nourishment to take real time to slow down and, you know, find, find yourself, find what now needs offer. If it's water, if it's other ritual, if it's candles, if it's flowers, you know, time with solitude that is doing the stuff that is nourishing for you, for anyone, you know, going to galleries, like filling one's time with things that just help each of us reconnect with ourselves. I've been getting acquainted with a program actually through someone quite close to me for dealing with chronic pain 
that emerges in like a chronic stress response. So when the body can't leave their the, the limbic system's trauma response and and anything that comes in or near is seen as a threat. And there's a program called, you know, DNRS, the Dynamic Neural Retraining System Program or something like that. But just for anyone who's listening, who's dealing with like real chronic stress, that there are programs out there that help help repattern and rewire the brain when it's caught in a loop of unsafety and we are very strong and resilient. So I'm I'm just saying that because it it pops into my mind. Yeah. Well, and I I just want to say that (laughs) if you weren't living with chronic pain or chronic stress before COVID, you may now be. And I say that with some laughter because I personally have had chronic pain since I was six years old. And that is where a lot of my contemplation of of trauma and embodiment and somatic healing and all of these things have come from my own quest to figure out how to how to heal through this, how to respond through this. And I know so many people, whether it's the stress of simply living through the pandemic or the very real stress and physical manifestations of COVID long haul, which I know so many people are struggling with, the most important thing if you're dealing with this or if you know someone who is, is to be compassionate and gentle and caring with yourself and to not be hard on yourself because you're carrying something that is painful and difficult. Yeah. Yeah. I was just thinking of forgiveness, the practice of forgiveness. One other thing that happened in Tammuz, they say apparently is that the second, the it was the smashing of the tablets. So the 10 commandments that Moses received For the first time on the mountain, he comes down, the Israelites are worshiping the golden calf, and there's this big smash. And later Moses goes back up the mountain, and there's this profound forgiveness that happens, and we get the second tablets. And I think in that moment in the story, and Harold Kushner brings a beautiful interpretation on this, but God grants us second chances and sort of forgives our humanness. If we can offer that to ourselves our forgiveness for being human and holds the brokenness in ourselves along with us. You know, B'nai Israel, the Israelites, always had the broken tablets with them. There is something in our tradition that really holds the brokenness along with what, what emerges. So the holding, the gazing, the seeing it, allowing room for it, forgiveness, yearning, yeah, that tenderness. I think that's all some of the medicine that comes in this month of Tammuz. Yeah, as we honor and grieve violation and destruction. Beautiful. I hope that you all have been have been nourished and provoked and supported and whatever you needed in this episode. And yeah, thank you, Booth. I'm really grateful for this deeper understanding of this month. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Living Jewishly podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, review, and subscribe. It helps more people like you find our show so that we can continue to grow the Living Jewishly community together. You can find us at livingjewishly.org and on YouTube and Instagram. Living Jewishly is living well with everyone.